What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. I'm recording this on April 28th, a Friday afternoon. We just saw the Celtics take care of the Hawks last night, and we've only got two first-round series still going on, both of those in the Western Conference. So, But we got a lot to cover today. Um, the Bucks' total collapse at the hands of playoff Jimmy Butler. We'll talk about who should be the favorite in the East now with the Bucks out. Uh, we look forward to a very exciting Suns Nuggets series in the second round, and then I will talk about the two remaining Western Conference playoff series and how I see those playing out uh, and who I see coming out of that side of the bracket moving forward. But with that, let's get right into it. So I want to start off with the Bucks and Heat series. And honestly, the Heat just made the Bucks look like a bad basketball team. They were bad on offense and defense. They made the Heat look like a juggernaut offensively. During the regular season, they were a disaster on offense. They were 34% from three, which was 27th in the NBA. They were dead last in the NBA in points per game at under 110. And they were a 113 offensive rating, which was 25th. So they're bottom five in all of those things in the regular season. And in this series, they shot 45% from three, which is the best among any playoff team, on over 34 attempts, too. So that's that's big volume. They averaged 124 points per game, which is also best among any playoff team. And they had 119 offensive rating, which is third, only after the Suns and Nuggets, who were both very strong offensively. And this is with Tyler Harrow only playing 19 total minutes in the series. Oladipo getting injured in Game 2 and is now out for the year. And they were playing four undrafted players at least 20 minutes per game in Max Struess, Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, and Duncan Robinson. And they even gave spot minutes to Hay- <laughs> Haywood Highsmith. Um, the Bucks couldn't uh, play just clear liabilities off the floor in Kevin Love, Cody Zeller. Uh, Duncan Robinson, these are guys that have, I mean, Love literally got cut by the Cavs, who have no depth at all. Zeller has bounced around the league, and Robinson just couldn't even crack the rotation in the regular season. And the Heat just got great contributions from the role players. I mean, Gabe Vincent shot 42% from three, Caleb Barton shot 44%, Love was 43%, Struess was 41%. And Duncan Robinson shot an absurd 74% from three. Um, So, I mean, everybody contributed. And these guys were confident out there. I mean, love having a big double-double in the closeout game. Caleb Martin hitting threes in Giannis' face late in games. Gabe Vincent with the confidence to just pull up from three uh, with guys in his grill as well. But obviously the biggest reason they won here is because Jimmy Butler. I mean, he is on another level right now. He averaged almost 38 points per game, six rebounds, just under five assists. Shots almost 60% from the field. Um, He had a 56-point game in game four, 42-point game in game five. And he took both of those games over down the stretch when it mattered most. He did most of that scoring late in the game uh, when the games were close. So they needed every... um, point that they got out of him late in those games suddenly he can make threes again all of a sudden he's 44 percent after i mean he's been just abysmal from there and the past few regular seasons sub 30 um a couple times over the last few years 
And honestly, he I mean, he's out there looking like the best player in the world. He thoroughly outplayed Giannis. Um, obviously, I don't think that Jimmy's quite at that level, but it's hard to argue. I mean, the dude just shows up every playoffs and plays out of his mind. Um, and then Spolstra, I mean, I just think he's the best coach in the NBA right now. It is insane what he's able to get out of, just low-level talent. Like, I mean, all those undrafted guys, Love, who was basically kicked to the curb, by a team he's done a lot for that really could have used him in their playoff series too. Um, just the way he's able to have his guys elevate their game when it matters most year after year after year. Um, a lot of people thought they weren't a super strong one seed last year. They still were one shot away from the finals. They made the finals in 2020 um, when really no one expected them to do too much. I mean, they were the uh, four or five seed, something like that. I think they were the five seed. Um, knocked off the Bucks in the second round then. And now here they are again as an eight seed, knocking off the, the best team in the NBA record-wise during the regular season. And honestly, this Bucks flameout was really, really bad. I mean, they blew two double-digit fourth-quarter leads in back-to-back games. The second one at home, and they were up 16 heading into the fourth. I mean, this was like bubble Clippers-esque performance when they were just blowing double-digit leads every single game, and then the fourth quarter comes around, and their offense just looked pathetic. I mean, they couldn't get anything going. It's like they just, like, forgot how to play basketball. Like, they weren't uh, – don't have the best player on their in the world probably on their team and two other guys that have made all-star teams. It was just mind-boggling to watch. And Mike Bootenholzer was a disaster in this series, especially in the past few games. I mean, the, the closeout game in Game 5, twice he doesn't call the timeout. How do you not call timeout with 0.5 seconds to advance the ball? I mean, you're, you're basically forfeiting the, at least that it's going to overtime. It was ridiculous. It, it's just a no-brainer that you call that. You know, I mean, Giannis didn't even get a shot up, but even if he did, it was three-quarters court. It was just not ever going to be anything, and you can easily get a catch-and-shoot shot uh, with 0.5 left. We've seen it multiple times. Um, and then in overtime, too, when Grayson Allen starts dribbling with the ball, I mean, the offense was so out of sorts. Giannis is almost on the floor. You've got the their top guys nowhere near the ball. And then I don't know what Grayson Allen was doing, not pulling up. He just didn't know how much time was left. But, I, <laughs> I mean, he was pretty open. But also, like, once you see the play is not going anywhere, you got to call a timeout there. It's just crazy. He's just sitting there watching. And then to not have Brooke Lopez in on the last play of regulation, um, Jimmy Butler makes a lob at the buzzer. But, like, Brooke Lopez literally finished second in Defensive Player of the Year. So, like, what the hell are you doing not having him out there? Even just putting him on the inbound to, so that a, a pass like that is more difficult. Just re, just so, so many questionable moves. He made no adjustments whatsoever throughout the entire series continued to play drop coverage despite these guys just draining three after three after three. I mean, shooting 45% from three, you'd think that they would maybe start to try to switch at least a little bit instead of going under these screens because they were just making everything. And then the fact that they wouldn't blitz Jimmy Butler at least once, I mean, it's you play a team like the Suns, and, and it, it's pretty hard to send a double at Durant or Booker because you've got the other one sitting there on the other side of the court. But who are you afraid of Butler tossing the ball to? Bam did not have a good series at all offensively. Kyle Lowry had a good series, but he's been awful all year long. I mean, he's he got benched. He was unplayable at points this season. 
And other than that, it's all these undrafted guys. They didn't have anybody else without Hero. I mean, there's just no other clear threats. If you're going to live by the three with the drop coverage, then why are you not living by the three with sending doubles at Butler? I mean, it's anyone watching these games could have seen that that was clearly the obvious move to be made. Um, we saw the Suns adjust like that when Kawhi was going off in game one. By game two, they were sending two at him every time, and it made a huge difference because they didn't have anybody else that can really attack off the dribble, and the Heat don't either. So it's, I mean, I'm not normally for firing a coach that like hasn't had year after year of bad things happen, but this was a fireable series. I'm sorry. I mean, even an average coach could have made those adjustments and he is so damn stubborn. I just, I, it was insane to watch like, <laughs> like a total just disaster from Budenholzer. Um, but on top of that, I mean, he's certainly not the only one that gets some blame here. And I think Giannis is going to need to take more of this blame than we think. I mean, this is the guy that most people, myself included, have as the best player in the world. I've been on record saying that I thought that if he made a deep run this year, he could vault himself into a top 20 player all time just based on his accomplishments and how dominant he's been over the last half decade or so. But man, he got exposed in this series. And look, I know he missed... uh, almost three games, but he was 14 for 31 from the free throw line. That's 45%. That's like Shaq level, like worse than Shaq level. He was 10 for 23 in game five. And not only that, he's actively scared of being fouled. I mean, on the jump ball late in the game, he nearly threw the ball away just because he didn't want to get fouled. Um, If it wasn't for a great save for Middleton, I mean, that could have been a a disaster. Um, And Drew Holiday ended up going one for two from the line anyway. But you just... You can't have your best player afraid to get fouled late in the game because then you just can't throw the ball to him. He's going to be passive and just try to avoid contact, but that's when he's at his best is driving downhill to the basket. But, I mean, the rest of his offensive limitations were on full display as well. He was shying away from contact, zero ability outside the paint. I mean, I think he took one mid-range jumper that wasn't even close um, at during the crunch time at some point. But other than that, I mean, he's just trying to shoot only two-foot shots because his jump shots just looked as bad as it has ever looked. And also, like, he had no close-range floater game or anything like that. It it just looks like his offensive skills are just mightily lacking. Um, I also did not love his press uh, conference comments. People were saying they loved his answer, but... Someone asked him if, if the season was a failure because of this. And first of all, he said it was the, the wrong question, which it is absolutely not the wrong question. Totally fair question. And also, it is a failure. This is a huge, huge failure for them. To say there's no failures in sports is ridiculous. That's literally why you play. Someone wins and someone loses. And expectations are absolutely a factor in that. And they had as high of expectations as anyone. I mean, they literally had the worst first-round showing of a one-seed in NBA history. I think six other um, one-seeds have lost to an eight-seed or five other. This was the sixth one. But they didn't lose in five, at least when six or seven. I mean, this was pathetic. And if you're as good as you, like, the best team in the in the league, I know Giannis missed time, but they should still have been able to win this series. I get it, Butler's probably the next best guy after Giannis, but... They probably had the next two best players, maybe Bam, but then four through eight is all Milwaukee. I mean, they are just a better, more talented, more complete team. Um, 
but it, it did not look like it. And honestly, their playoff resume over the past five years is not very good. 2019, they make the Eastern Conference Finals. They have a 2-0 lead, and they lose four straight to lose to the Raptors. And they were the favorites in that series. They won 60 games, were the one seed. So blow a 2-0 lead as the favorite. Then 2020, I know Giannis did miss some games in that Heat series, but he got hurt in Game 3 when they were already about to go down 3-0. They were already down 2-0 in that Game 3. They were going to lose even without even with him. So you don't even get a pass on that. I mean, you you were going to lose. They, they lose in 5 then, again as the favorites to a lower seed. Then 2022, uh, last year they blow a 1-0 lead, a 2-1 lead, a 3-2 lead, all in the same series, and they lose again as favorites to the Celtics. I know they didn't have Middleton, but they were the favorites. They had the best player in the series. They had three separate leads, including a Game 6 at home to close it out. Um, and they couldn't stop the Celtics, and then Game 7 wasn't even close. And then this year, you lose in five in a first-round first series as a one seed. Like I said, it was the worst performance by one seed in the history of the league. Um, and then I know, obviously, I skipped over 2021. They did win the championship that year, but let's be clear. They were a shoe size away from losing <laughs> to the Nets in the second round. Uh, everyone knows the, the Kevin Durant shot where he shoots um, – to what we thought was going to be a game winner, but his toe was on the line. So it ends up going to overtime, and the Bucks win in overtime. But that's with no Kyrie, who got hurt, and Harden, who was hurt, and playing on one hamstring. He came back and was really nothing but a decoy. He could not shoot at all. He had no legs. So that's basically a five-year run that is saved by Kevin Durant, uh, toe on the line. But without that, let's say that the Nets might win that series. They're looking at five years of prime Giannis with one conference finals to show, no finals, three second-round exits, and one first-round exit. And they've lost as the favorite three out of the five years. So it's just – this is really bad. And, and moving forward, I have real questions about this team because Middleton has a player option, and he's probably going to become a free agent because he'll probably get a, a just a more – um, security by some team at the very least. And not to mention, he's been a mess on defense. He's, he's certainly looked like himself on offense in this series. He looked really good, but he can't stay in front of anyone. And he's already 32 and coming off that injury. Then you've got Brooke Lopez, who's 35 now, and he's a free agent as well. I have no idea what his market's going to be just because he's older, but he did have a good year. And then Drew Holiday, he's 33 now. Um, and it doesn't get talked about enough, but he's been really, really bad offensively in the playoffs with the Bucks. Um, the, he's with the Bucks, thirty nine point six percent from the field in the playoffs overall, and thirty percent from three. So that those are terrible splits. I mean, he shot sub forty percent in five of the seven series he's had with the Bucks. He shot sub thirty from three in four of the seven, and his true shooting percentage in all playoff runs with the Bucks is below 50, which is just atrocious efficiency. I mean, he's just been not able to not only be consistent, but he's been bad shooting the ball. He's been consistently bad. <laughs> um, obviously, we know what he brings defensively, but he hasn't shown the ability to be a reliable offensive player in the playoffs, at least not consistently. And he's 33 now, like I said. Then you look at the rest of the team, Crowder, Ingles, Drogic, Wes Matthews. They're all free agents, and... 
Ingles, Drogic, and Matthews are all 36 or older. And then Crowder's 33. You've got Javon Carter, who had a nice year, but he's a free agent as well, and he's definitely going to get a raise based on his season this year. And then that leaves, what, Connaughton, Grayson Allen, and Bobby Portis, who are all fine players, but they're limited. I mean, we've seen them be a good fifth guy in the lineup. Um, Portis is a good sixth, seventh man, and then Connaughton and Allen are really nothing more than that fifth shooter in a lineup full of stars. So they are very old. They don't have any cap space. They can't trade a pick until 2029. And so I'm honestly not really sure how they're going to improve this team. Um, and they just haven't been good enough as currently constructed, except for 2021, obviously, but that was like a different version of Giannis. I mean, he was really good last year, but with the Middleton injury, it just wasn't enough. Um, and then 2021, he just doesn't look, I'm, I'm not saying that he's like declined or anything like that, but offensively, he's been way less efficient this year. He has not shot the ball well outside of the paint, at least not as well as he did then. His free throw percentages are not improving after they did a, a little bit. Um, through the middle part of his career. And honestly, I'm not saying the Bucks are done, but a lot of it's going to fall on Giannis because they, they can't really add much to the roster. Um, the best they can do is retain the guys they've had, maybe some sign and trades, but we know those normally don't turn into equal value. And so it's going to fall on Giannis. He's just got to be better in the playoffs if they want to truly contend. We need to see him playing at that dominant level we saw in the finals in 2021 or last year against Boston. Um, and he just didn't have enough help last year. And this year, he probably had enough help, but he just he came up small, man. I, I don't know what else to say. Um, I still think right now I'd have him as the best player in the league, but that could change. I mean, if Jokic goes to the finals, he's got as much of a case. Um, if Steph wins it again, I mean, how are you going to argue with that? Um, and then the Suns could make a run. I mean, KD certainly on that level. Booker's been playing out of his mind. Jason Tatum could certainly elevate to there. Joel Embiid is probably going to win the MVP if he makes a, a late run. So it's more of a debate now. He's he's not the clear-cut guy after this, and the pressure is going to be on them next year because this is really bad. I don't know if they're going to keep Bud or not. Um, I honestly might fire him just because there are some good coaching candidates out there. If they could get like Nick Nurse, I think that would be an upgrade. Um, but they're, yeah, they got to do something next year. If they lose second round or again, it's, it's going to start to be bad and it's going to be real question marks about if Giannis might want to stay there long-term or not. But moving on to the other side of the East bracket, um, the Cleveland Cavaliers are just frauds. They totally (laughs) fooled me. I was high on them. I came on here a bunch and said I think they were being undervalued. I thought they would beat the Knicks pretty easily, honestly. But they just, they fooled me and a lot of other people. They did not have any sort of extra gear in the playoffs from what I expected. Um, And nearly everybody on the whole team came up small. I mean, except for maybe Garland, but he was inconsistent. He had some great games. He had some not great games. His stats turned out okay. I don't think if you're a fan, you're necessarily blaming him or upset at, um, at him, but you go down the rest of this team, I mean, Mobley was beyond lame. He averaged under 10 points per game on 46% from the field. He didn't make a single three-pointer. He was only 5 for 8 from the free throw line. I mean, this is a guy that's been getting Kevin Garnett comps for like a while now. But he looks so limited on offense. He's just got a ton of growing offensively to do. I'm not try- trying to take away from him defensively. He's still great there. We all know that. Um, and he was fine defensively in this series too overall. 
but we got to pump the brakes. I mean, it, I, I want to see this guy have a reliable, even just mid-range jumper or like the ability to create his own shot a little bit more before we start getting into all-star territory for him. Because right now, I mean, he's like Jaron Jackson Jr. that can't shoot threes, <laughs> which is not a great player because that's kind of all Jackson can do on offense. He's still got like a good I- basketball IQ. He's got a good feel for the game in terms of like passing and stuff, but like I don't know. We just got to see more from a scoring standpoint if we want to talk about him having the ceiling that some people think that he does. And then don't even get me started on Jared Allen. I mean, he was a total no-show. This dude played 38 minutes a game and still couldn't average double digits in points or rebounds. He was totally dominated by Mitchell Robinson in a few of these games. And he even came out and admitted that the lights were a little brighter than he thought they would be. So it's disappointing to see. Um, He's had. It's hard to say if he's going to be a guy that can produce in the playoffs at this point. It doesn't seem like it. Um, and I don't know. Maybe you look at s- switching up the Allen Mobley combination. Maybe move Allen for some more wing depth. But um, they also just had no depth at all in this series, and they only could play seven guys basically. And they literally did not have a backup big. Uh, Dean Wade barely played and they didn't have anybody else meanwhile kevin love is in miami playing huge minutes and a huge role there so it makes just no sense why they waived him i mean i don't i i i really don't get it (laughs) they absolutely could have used him in this series and like no he's not a perfect player at this point but he's better than dean wade and i mean they had to stagger mobley now in the whole series they basically didn't have a backup big so that makes no sense their wing personnel is a total disaster. They've got one guy who can shoot a little, but he can't defend and he can't create shots in Chetty Osman. They have one guy that can defend, but he can't shoot or create shots at all, and that's Isaac Okoro. And then they've got one guy who can shot create, but he's terrible in defense and not a consistent shooter, and that's Karis LeVert. So if you could combine these guys, it'd be great. Or even a guy that could do two of the three things. But you just can't play all these one skill players it's it's going to come back to bite you like you you put Orcora out there and their offense is just atrocious they're leaving him wide open in the corner you put Lavert out there and they're a mess defensively and he's still not really consistently making shots outside and then you put Osman and it's just like all he can do is stand in the corner and, and he's not anything on defense so and then just lastly going back to Donovan Mitchell he's been very bad in the playoffs as of recently um, he had two great, great years in 2020 and 2021 in the playoffs. He averaged 34 points a game um, on very efficient 48 from the field, 46 from three. But he's been largely thought of as a great playoff performer because of that, and he has not really been consistently living up to that. I mean, his first two years, I know he's a rookie and a second-year player in 2018 and 2019, but he was only 23 a game, and he shot sub 40%, sub 30% from three. And then the last two years, he's been almost just as bad. I mean, twenty about 24 points per game, but 41% from the field, 25% from three over the past two playoffs. And he's also now two and six in playoff series in his career. He's never made a conference finals. He has four first-round exits. And this team felt a lot like the Utah Jazz teams we are accustomed to seeing with him, where good regular season team, very strong, consistent, but then you get to the playoffs and they're totally exposed. They just don't have another level. It turns into Mitchell hero ball. 
their uh, good defense ends up getting exposed a little bit. They've got no one else on offense that can do anything. Um, and then also, J.B. Bickerstaff was totally outcoached by Tibbs in this series. They could not get anyone going on offense. The sets were not good. The rotation was super short. Part of that is personnel, but you got to try different looks as well if, you're, if nothing's working. Um, and he brought them to a really nice regular season, but I wonder if they might need a more seasoned guy to bring them up a level. I mean, he hasn't really had a ton of experience. I think he was an interim coach with the Rockets, but they were bad with him. And then he's been with the Cavs for a few years, but this is really their first good year. So, again, I know I brought it McNurse for the Bucks. I think this would be a great fit for him as well. I don't know if Bickerstaff will get fired just because they did have such a good regular season. But at the same time, this was about as bad as a postseason showing as you could have had. Just losing in the first round to a team they really shouldn't have based on the, the talent they have. And then just moving to the Knicks side of this, outside of Josh Hart, who was awesome for them, shot the ball well, was really good defensively, no one really shot the ball particularly well. I mean, Randall was awful, 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 really bad. 14 points a game, 34% from the field, 24% from three. He had as many turnovers as he did assists. And honestly, at this point, he's basically proven to be a truly god-awful playoff performer. Um his two series um, from two years ago and this one are probably two of the worst series I've actually ever seen from an all-NBA level player in the regular season. He made all-NBA a few years ago, and he has a good shot at making it this year. And it just puts a real ceiling on his value overall moving forward, in my opinion. Um, RJ Barrett, he finished the series really strong, but he did not shoot great overall. He was only 25% from three for the series. Quickly, was just awful. He was nine a game. And shot 34 from the field, 29 from three. Grimes was two for 11 from the field through the series, one for nine from three. Um, and then even Brunson, who uh, a lot of people think was the best player in the series, he didn't shoot it that well either. He was only 43.7% uh, from the field and 29% from three. So um, not exactly a, a great showing by him. But... I mean, they were able to win because they were great on defense. They totally shut down the Cavs' offense. They made them look just incompetent at times on that end. Um, they dominated the series physically. Um, they dominated the the rebounding battle. I mean, Mitchell Robinson. I think he had like eighteen rebounds in the past in the last two games combined. Just totally um, dominating Jared Allen and really the whole team physically. Like I said. Uh, they also made big shots when they needed to late in games. Um, there were some times where the Cavs would cut a little close, but they ended up uh, making the late shots they needed to make sure that they were able to hold on to some leads. Um, and then, like I said, I think that Tibbs thoroughly outcoached Bickerstaff. He was pretty good in this series overall, um, especially just having the, the guts to bench Randall um, in what was it, game four, I think, when they went up 3-1. He just didn't have it, and they were playing better without him. And so just great move by him. There's not a lot of coaches that do that. And I also feel like early Tibbs is not making that move, but um, it was definitely a good call by him. And so he, he was great in the whole series overall. However, I do want to spread caution to all the Knicks fans out there. This might be one of those classic cases of an overperforming playoff team that gets fooled into thinking that they're more of a contender than they are. And I only say that because they're playing the Heat. And they have a legit shot of beating the Heat. If they were playing the Bucs, I probably wouldn't have thrown this out there. They won a first-round series. Good for them. 
Um, but there are a lot of ex- examples of teams that made the conference finals a little prematurely or with not as much talent. Um, and it can be for a number of reasons. Either they, uh, the way the bracket turned out where like two of the teams, the better teams are on one side, or maybe one team like the bucks in this case gets eliminated earlier than people think. So they don't have to play them or it's just a weak conference. Um, but just some examples, last year's Mavericks made the Western conference finals. They beat the Suns. Um, they might've had COVID who knows, but they totally collapsed either way. Uh, but then they go in the next round, they lose in five to the Warriors, totally lopsided series. And then how did the next season turn out? Well, they went 38 and 44 and they didn't even make the plan. Then we go back to the 2021 Hawks. They made the Eastern Conference Finals and largely just because they've massive collapse by the Sixers. It almost wasn't anything the Hawks did. It was just the Sixers imploding. And then they lose in six to the Bucks that next series too, even without Giannis for a few games. Um, and they were down 3-1. That wasn't really a close series overall. And how they do the next year, they only won 43 games. They finished as the nine seed, but then got into the play-in because they um, won two games to get to the eight seed. And then they lost in five in a super lopsided series. Trey Young was awful in that series. Um, and they haven't won a playoff series since then. So uh, then we go to the 2019 Blazers. They made the Western Conference Finals. And that was largely because of a lopsided bracket where the two best teams were the Rockets and uh, Warriors. But they actually ended up being on the same side of the bracket because the Rockets got off to a really slow start. So they were the four seed. But I think it was pretty common opinion that they were the the second best team in the West after the Warriors. That was the Chris Paul Rockets team still. Um, and then they got swept in the conference finals um, to the Warriors, and they didn't even have Durant in that series. And it was just not a close series at all. And then the next season, they finished four games under 500. They sneak into the playoffs, but it was only because of the bubble play-in games. They actually finished ninth, but they beat a very, very injured Grizzlies team um, in the, the play-in to get into the eight seed. And then they lost in five to the Lakers, not a close series. They won game one, but were blown out pretty much every other game. And they also have not won a playoff series since then. Then we go to the 2016 Raptors. They made the Eastern Conference Finals, and it was mostly just because it was a super weak East. Um, they beat a Miami team in the second round whose starting lineup was Goran Dragic, a 34-year-old Dwayne Wade, 34-year-old Joe Johnson, Luol Deng the year right before he got that awful Lakers contract, and Hassan Whiteside. So not exactly a juggernaut. <laughs> Um, they did get to 2-2 with the Cavs in the Conference Finals before losing two straight, but then you look in the next two years, they thought they were close. They decided to run it back with the same uh, DeRozan and Lowry core, and they got swept in the second round both years by the Cavs, and they were not close. Um, and they were actually the favorite one of those years because they had finished as the one seed, and the Cavs were a little weaker without Kyrie, but yeah, not a good showing after that. Um, obviously they then traded for Kawhi, but that's a whole different story. You add a top five player to it. It makes sense. Um, but for that core, I mean, it was just, that they probably thought they were closer than they were based off regular season success and the one conference finals appearance. And then even going back to the 2015 Hawks, they made the Eastern conference finals again, because it was just a very weak East. Um, they got swept by the Cavs in the conference finals. Wasn't even close. Then the next five seasons, they have one total playoff series win. Um, and that year they got swept in the second round as well. Um, and only two final or playoff appearances in total for the next five seasons. Um, so I just want to say not all conference finals runs are created equally. Um, they can often be fool's gold. You could be tricked into thinking you're further along than you think you are in the um, development of a, a contender. Um, 
And it can lead to a team running it back too many times with the same group, like the four all-star Hawks team with Millsap and Horford, the uh, Dame and C.J. McCollum Blazers teams, the DeRozan and Lowry Raptors teams. Those teams were never going to be good enough. But they kept running it back because they tasted a little bit of that success and it kind of fooled them into thinking they were close. Or it can lead to a team making trades that potentially mortgage the future without actually moving the needle enough. Obviously, if you make a trade like the... uh, Kawhi trade with the Raptors, that's enough to move the needle. But we see the Hawks trading, what was it, three picks and a swap for DeJounte Murray. The Mavs giving up picks and their best defenders for Kyrie. Neither of those have really panned out so far. There's obviously time for them um, to uh, salvage them a bit. But, yeah, they were kind of panic moves because they felt like they needed to make a move because they thought they were close, but in reality, probably not that close. So in terms of the Heat-Knicks series, this is a total toss-up for me. Um, The Knicks are deeper. I think they have a more complete team. They've got home court. They're less injured. TBD on if Randall, um, how healthy he will be. But obviously no Tyler Hero, no Oladipo. The Heat are pretty depleted. Um, But the Heat have more experience. They have the best player in the series. They have the better coach. Because of that, I I lean Miami. Um, I don't feel good about it. I could totally see the Knicks just being too deep for them. And if Butler has a bad game, then I, I feel like they just can't win. Um, so I do question how sustainable Butler will play. But he doesn't need to play great all seven games. He just needs to play great for four of them. And then maybe three if they can uh, put one game together where he's not phenomenal and still maybe squeak it out. Um, but I think their lack of talent could catch up to them. Um Either team could win this. It wouldn't surprise me. I think it's going to be an ugly series, similar to the Knicks-Cavs series and, honestly, the Bucks-Heat series at times because um, just a lot of guys that are either not super talented or haven't performed great in the playoffs on the Knicks side. So I think either team who wins is going to lose in the fi- conference finals to the Sixers or Celtics. But, uh, like I said, toss-up, but I do lean on the side of Miami to win this series. But getting to the Sixers-Celtics part of the bracket, I've been seeing so much hate on the Sixers, and people do realize that they swept their series, right? (laughs) I mean, they had the best defensive rating so far in the playoffs at 103, which is an absurd number for today's NBA. They have the best net rating at plus 12.5, which, again, that is a number that would only be replicated in a regular season by a historically great team. Um But all I've seen is this anti-Sixers discourse. Like, look, I know Embiid and Harden, they haven't looked great. Don't get me wrong. I'm aware of that. Um, But their role guys have been awesome. I mean, Tobias Harris, people thought that guy was, like, dead. He's averaged 20 a game. He shot 57% from the field, 57% from three, didn't miss a free throw. Tyrese Maxey looked phenomenal in the first round, 22 points per game. Uh, He was 47% from the field and shot 50% from three. Melton also shot the ball really well. He was 39% from three. Paul Reed looked really good. Only played 16 and a half minutes, but still averaged seven and seven off the bench. And honestly, it just feels a little unfair to give them such shit that I've seen people giving them shit. Um, But they've been the most dominant playoff team so far. I mean, they they had two close games. They had a blowout. They had a kind of in the middle game where it was like not super close, but... Um, not necessarily a blowout, but I know the Nets probably aren't a real playoff team. I'm aware of that, but they took care of business. So, I mean, they did what they should do. Um, and guess what? Other teams just have not done that. I mean, the Bucks 
are out of the playoffs. The Cavs out of the playoffs, both to teams that they should have beaten. And the Celtics got seriously pushed by the Hawks. Um, and on the Celtics side, I think, I mean, they let the Hawks look really comfortable offensively at times. I mean, it was literally a week ago we were talking about if it would be Trey Young's last game as a Hawk. <laughs> um, everyone thought they were dead. They should blow it up. Um, they hadn't played well in the playoffs. They hadn't played well in the regular season. Um, but the Celtics made them look pretty decent. I mean, they went to six games. Um, and what's crazy to me is they actually came into game six as a minus 140 favorite to make the finals, which is crazy odds for a team that hadn't even won their first round series yet. I mean, that's like some Durant, Golden State favorite numbers right there. I don't even know if they were that much of a favorite. I, I, <laughs> that's just crazy. Um, and they've had some stuff that's been relatively concerning. I mean, I think they probably should have taken care of the Hawks in, in five at, at the least. Um, but the, the end of game five was definitely not pretty. But they, they shorted up in game six. The Hawks looked um, good for most of the game, but the Celtics had that classic, like, we're the better team, so we're going <laughs> to win this game now uh, in the last few minutes. But Missoula hasn't been phenomenal. He's playing a lot of these two non-shooter lineups with like Rob Williams and Marcus Smart, who hasn't shot the ball great. Um, that lineup is a minus 16 net rating when they're on the court at the same time, which is the worst combination on the team. So that hasn't been great. And honestly, Smart has been playing probably too much, in my opinion. You've got two really good options in Brogdon and Derek White. And White has just been so good. I mean, he's – talk about unsung heroes. This is He's probably their third best player this year. I don't think anyone would have seen that coming, especially after they added Brogdon and Smart was largely thought of as the better player last year. But Smart's just not been playing well. He's certainly not the same player defensively after winning Defensive Player of the Year last year. And he's still just making a lot of bonehead plays on offense, taking threes he probably shouldn't, throwing the ball away at times. And um, not only has he not been the same defensively, they haven't been the same defensively as last year. They just haven't been as good. I don't I don't really know why. They've got basically the same personnel. But it, I don't know if the schemes with Yudoka were a little better. He had made better adjustments, whatever. But it's not like they've been bad on defense. I'm not necessarily knocking them. Um, but it hasn't been, like, quite the same, I would say. And then Tatum has been a little disappointing. I mean, he's don't get me wrong, he's averaging 27 points a game. But, I mean, Jalen Brown's just been better than him so far. I mean, Brown shot the hell out of the ball. He's above 50% from three and above... 54% from the field, but Tatum's at 45% from the field, 35% from three. Those are pretty similar to his uh, regular season numbers, but you'd like to see them bump up a little bit. And he's just not super consistent game to game. I mean, he had a nine for 22 game, an eight for 20 game, an eight for 21 game, and he was one for 10 from three in that game. So he's just been a little inconsistent, not as consistent as you'd like him to be at least. Um, but obviously, like, we know what he can do. We know what he's capable of. He still had 29 or more in four of the six games. He had 25 or more in uh, five of the six. So we know he's going to get his points. But um, it's just it's just interesting to see Brown basically be better than him <laughs> for extended stretches in, in the playoffs. I mean, last year we saw this a little bit, too. In the finals, Brown was probably their best player. Tatum was not good in that. So um, the inconsistencies are a little concerning. But with all that said, I do still think the East is lined up really nicely for the Celtics to make the finals. Um, I don't see any scenario in which they would lose to the Knicks or Heat unless there's like an injury or something. It's just not going to happen. Um, so this upcoming series is really essentially the conference finals, in my opinion. The winner of this will make the finals. 
And I've said this before the playoffs. Um, I know I just shot on the Celtics a little bit and defended the Sixers, but um, this opinion I'm about to give has nothing to do with what we've seen in the playoffs. I've just felt this way for a while. But I just trust the Celtics more than the Sixers based on their previous playoff experience and outcomes. Um, the Sixers are yet to beat any sort of even remotely legitimate contender in a playoff setting before. Um, and it's just hard to trust James Harden in the playoffs. It's hard to trust Doc Rivers in the playoffs. And Bede is banged up. We don't even know if he's going to play to start the series. And it's not like he played well even before then. Uh, the Celtics also have home court advantage. And look, like I said, the Celtics have not been as consistent as I would have liked, not only in the playoffs, but down the stretch in the regular season as well. The past few weeks, they hadn't been playing phenomenal. Um, so I think it will be a hard-fought series, closer than I initially predicted, because um, I think I had Celtics in five. I might go Celtics in six or seven now, just because they have been inconsistent. But obviously, if Embiid doesn't play, I think it'll be a quick series. Um, but they should win it. Um if Tatum can be the best player in the series, which I think he should, I think he will. Um, even if he wasn't in the first round, then I think the Celtics, this is their series to lose. The East is their conference to lose. Um, and it'll be a disappointment if they don't win it, I would say. For either of these teams, I will say that. Either of these teams, if they don't make the finals, it's it's not going to be great. I, I know the Bucks situation is not great, but with the Bucks out... It's like this is such a golden opportunity for either of these teams to win the series and then cruise to the finals, um, particularly for Philadelphia. I mean, if they lose second round again, this is going to look really bad. Um, Joel Embiid will have been the only MVP in NBA history to not have made a conference finals, which is not a good thing to have in your resume. So, so now I want to move to the Western Conference. I'm going to start with the, the Suns. They wrapped up their series earlier this week in five games. They lost game one and then won four straight. A lot of that largely due in part to Kawhi Leonard being injured. Uh, we now see that he's got a torn MCL, I believe, in the same knee that he tore the ACL. So who knows if he would have been coming back anytime soon. I know Paul George wasn't too far out. But regardless, the Suns took care of business. And Devin Booker was just otherworldly. I mean, he averaged 37 points a game, six assists, five rebounds, shot 60% from the field, um, 47% from three. He, We just have not seen him play at this level before. And there's real questions to me about, is he going to be the leading scorer on this team moving forward, like just for the foreseeable future? I think most people think Durant is the better player, um, and I agree with that. Uh, but we'll see, man. I mean, Book has been so damn good. He is... I think pretty much solidified himself as a top 10 guy, but if they can make a deep run and he, I mean, I don't think he's going to continue this level, but if he's even close to this, then I think you got to start moving him up and close to that top five range. Cause he also has been phenomenal on defense. He's averaging 2.6 steals per game, a full block. I think he's first in the, in the playoffs in steals per game. And he's just been great on that. end. I mean, he's, he's probably the sun's best perimeter defender at this point, which is, not something you thought you'd say in a positive light uh, <laughs> based on where he started on that front earlier in his career. Um, but it's in it's really interesting to me because when they got Kevin Durant, I thought it was going to help them a ton, um, and it has offensively, but not in the way I thought. I thought he would really help them by taking pressure off of Booker as a, a second-shot creator, a, a reliable second score or first score with book moving to the second score. 
Um, but the way he's really helped is just through his gravity on the court. I mean, they can't blitz Booker anymore because you got Durant just chilling on the three-point line on the other side of the court, especially when they're doing some two-man action between the two of them. I mean, you just can't double him right now. And so the way he's really helped is just opening up the court for Booker to do his thing on single coverage. Um, and he's just been absolutely killing it there. So in some ways, Durant has just been an insane decoy for them. <laughs> I think Monty Williams had a, had a quote saying he's been the really expensive decoy so far. So, But yeah, that that's really the main way I've noticed him impacting the offense so far, rather than him taking pressure off book but really just like empowering booker um to to be able to attack more um moving down the team i mean chris paul had one just awful awful game and then one really great awesome game where he basically won it for him in the fourth quarter and then he had a few in between so i think that's going to be what we see out of him i think in a seven game series we're going to get at least one maybe two really bad games we'll get at least one maybe two really good games and then we'll get anywhere from three to five, like, fine games, you know? So that's kind of what he is at this point. We can't expect the same consistent play that we had seen out of him, um, which is fine. I don't think they need that. Um, but he, I think he just has to limit those awful games because, I mean, he really almost lost them uh, game, <laughs> game three with his late game play. He just could not make anything. I think he was like one for eight on threes, and they were all wide open. He missed two free throws late in the game that could have helped ice it. Um, and Aiton's a little the same, just inconsistent. He's going to have good games, going to have bad games, going to have fine games. Um, we'll just have to see. We, we got to hope that Chris Paul and Aiton don't have the bad games on the same day, uh, which did happen in game three, <laughs> but they were still able to win just because Booker was ridiculous and KD was also really good. Um, and I know there's been a lot of talk about their bench and how there is not much <laughs> going on there. But to be honest, I really think it's less about the personnel and more about the coaching rotations. Biombo has been great. Um, Okogi has played totally fine. And then campaign is uh, he was back last game. He only played three minutes. So I, I imagine they were trying to just ramp him up. I bet he'll play more as time goes on. But they've got guys on the bench. I just think Monty is not... Like, he, he can't find a rotation. He keeps putting Landry Shaman in, who's playing awful, over Damian Lee, who can hit threes at a much more consistent rate. Meanwhile, we've got Terrence Ross and TJ Warren just rotting on the bench. They never play. Um, so, I don't know. He played 13 guys in the span of the first few games, and there was no garbage time. Like, he just played 13 guys. He had a playoff game where he played 11 guys in one game. That's not something you do in the playoffs. So I don't real I genuinely don't think their bench is like some awful like personnel thing. It's just that he hasn't given guys an opportunity to succeed. He had some games where he's like putting four different guys in for four minutes. What are you gonna do in four minutes? You know how hard it is to come in for only four minutes and have an impact on the game? You can't get in a rhythm at all. Um when you're doing that for four different guys, like just commit to a guy and play him. And if it doesn't work, then if, if he's getting like absolutely demolished out there, then sure, yank him. Um, or switch it up from game to game, but like it's just he's not giving he's not putting them in a position to succeed. He just hasn't found the rotation. So that's more of the issue to me with the bench is that they haven't found a consistent rotation. It's not necessarily the personnel. I mean, if you look at their starters, the big four they've got with Tory Craig, Okogi, and Biombo, and then Campaign, that's a pretty solid eight. That's not a bad eight man rotation at all. Um, I mean, look at the the Nuggets side of things. 
who who after Bruce Brown, who's their bench? Christian Brown, Jeff Green, who's like thirty seven now, thirty six. Um, <laughs> DeAndre Jordan. I mean, Peyton Watson is a rookie. Like, it's pretty comparable. And no one talks about them not having a bench. But just to wrap up on the Suns, their offense has been clicking on all cylinders after looking pretty clunky the first few games. They actually shot. Um, 50, 40, 80 as a team in the first round. They had 124 offensive rating, which was best among all the playoff uh, teams so far. And they're getting a lot of hate, um, largely because the Clippers were injured. Um, but they took care of business. That hasn't looked great at all times. But I also think the Clippers were a bit of a tough matchup for them. Just their ability to switch uh, consistently with a lot of big wings. Whereas with the Nuggets moving to their side, they play drop coverage, and they're not going to be able to switch as easily. Um, the Nuggets have looked pretty good overall. Jokic just absolutely tore up the Wolves. He looked phenomenal in the first round. Um, a lot of the role guys played well. Jamal Murray is playing really, really well. He's been a pretty consistent, um, just consistently good offensive player in the playoffs in his career, which is really encouraging for them because they're going to need that to keep up with Booker and um, Durant. But I honestly think... This is going to be a very different series from what we saw with these first round games for these te- or series for the, these teams, because I think the the Suns are going to be way more comfortable attacking the Nuggets defense than the Clippers. The Nuggets were pretty mediocre on defense all year, but because they're drop coverage and they're just going to be able to attack, attack, attack Jokic with Booker and Durant in the pick and roll, even Chris Paul. Honestly, uh, we saw him shred up their defense when they played in the playoffs a few years ago and so I think it's going to be I think the Suns are just going to be more comfortable offensively than they were with the Clippers because the Clippers just had some guys that could give them some trouble um and then on the Nuggets side I think the Suns defense hasn't been clicking as well as you'd like I think the the Wolves have been um pretty good there so I also think the Nuggets could play well on offense uh so I think this could be a high scoring um series i think it's we'll have some shootouts it'll be some great shot making um and again this is the same thing i know i'm saying this about a lot of series but i think this is a total toss-up honestly i could see any result like the suns have a clear talent advantage at the top they've got two top 10 players the nuggets second best player is probably murray who's in the top 40 range at, at best probably but the nuggets have Probably a more complete team, well-rounded. They have home court advantage, and it's a real home court advantage because of the altitude in Denver. Um, They've also got as much continuity as maybe any team in the league. This core has been together for a good bit, and the Suns have played 13 total games together (laughs) with their current uh, roster construction. So it'll be interesting. I think they're both pretty good coaches. I haven't loved Monty's rotations. We've seen Mike Malone be just kind of fine in the playoffs at times. Not that he's been bad ever, but... um, not like anyone talks about like, oh my God, Malone was so great in that series. But we also haven't seen a lot of like, oh my God, Malone totally did them in that series. So we will see. I lean the Suns. I picked the Suns, so I'll stick with that. Um, but I would not be surprised at all if Denver won. I think the winner of this series is probably going to go to the finals. Um, but we'll see. It's a it's a really fun second round matchup. You don't always get um, matchups in the second round that are this good. So. So moving to the other side of the Western Conference playoff bracket um, where we've got Lakers, Grizzlies, and Kings Warriors. The Warriors took a 3-2 lead with a chance to close out tonight. 
And the Kings have been really fun, not only this whole year, but in the playoffs. But unfortunately, I think the series is over. Um, I don't see how the Kings win this game tonight. (laughs) Um, I thought the home team would win every game until game seven, and then the Warriors would win then. But their road win happened a little earlier than I expected, so they got it in game five. But I think that the Warriors will close this out in six at home tonight. And... Their defense has majorly picked it up, the Warriors. They were mediocre on this end all year long. They were 17th in defensive rating in the league. Um, They're currently 7th among playoff teams, which is middle of the pack. But that's actually a lot better when you consider that they're playing the NBA's top offense from this year. So um, the Kings' offensive rating is actually down 8 total points from what it was in the regular season, and that's just a credit to the Warriors' defense. Draymond has been totally dominant on that end in in this series, and he's actually been really good offensively in the past few games as well. He scored his highest point total since they said 2019, I think. Um, Looney's been playing like Dennis Rodman <laughs> with his rebounds. I think he's at like 14 a game right now, which is just insane. Um, Steph, not much to say about him. He's just been his, his normal great self. He's easily one of the top player performers in the league right now. You know exactly what you're going to get. He might have some um, inconsistent shooting games, but overall, he's just a force uh, in the playoffs. Clay's actually shot the ball really well. Uh, he's 40% from three in this series, been pretty consistent too, which is not something we've been able to say for throughout most of this year. Wiggins is starting to get his footing back. He's looked uh, particularly good over the last few games, hit some big buckets for them in game five. Um, Poole has still been pretty awful, <laughs> terrible shooting, um, not great defensively, but um, it's, they've been unable to overcome that. Um, and then even Moody and Kaminga have given them some decent spot minutes, especially when Draymond was out, uh, in game four or sorry, game three. Um, and the Kings look, I've, I'd be really impressed if they came back to win really impressed, but I just think the Warriors have taken control of the series. It's really tough, uh, losing game five at home in a two, two series. That is such a mental hurdle to get over that. I just don't think they can do it. Um, They haven't looked as good the past few games as they did earlier in the season. They kind of lost their mojo a little. Um, And I think the Warriors' experience in championship pedigree has just been too much for them, unfortunately. Um, And look, the Kings also just, they haven't played very well. They've shot 30% from three in the series on really high volume, 37 attempts a game. Sabonis has been disappointing. He's shooting only around 50% from the field, and he was well above 60% in the regular season. Looney's been dominating him on the boards, even though Sabonis is one of the best rebounders in the league during the regular season. Herter and Barnes have just been abysmal. Herter's 4 for 25 for 3, which is 16%. Barnes is 5 for 22, which is under 23%. And he missed that basically wide-open game winner that could have totally swung the series. Um, so yeah, like I said, I think the, this series, unfortunately is probably over. Um, I, I, if look, if the Kings win tonight, I'll bite the bullet, but I, I had the Warriors winning this coming in, in a series playing out similarly to what we've seen where it'd be back and forth competitive, but, um, the Warriors just, their experience is just too much for them right now. And, um, it's, it's especially with them at home, which they play even better at, so. And it's starting to look like the Warriors will probably end up playing the Lakers. Um, But on their front, I do not think that LeBron looks healthy at all. He's been completely gassed at the end of games. In game five, the Lakers were literally on a 12-0 run with four minutes to go. And they still took him out. 
they basically waved the white flag when they were totally still in that game. I mean, the Grizzlies were so dysfunctional on offense down the stretch. And they, or he shot the ball really poorly. He's three for 24 from three since the first game. That is 12.5%. He's six for 36 overall, which is 16.7%. He's just got no legs shooting the ball. He's only averaging 22 a game, only five assists, and that's in 38 minutes. He's 46% from the field overall, which for a normal player is not too bad, but that's way down for him. He's 68% from the free throw line, also down from what he's normally at. And his numbers are just way down from what we saw pre-injury this year. I mean, it's easy to say maybe he declined, but um, he just hasn't looked the same since he came back with the foot thing. And uh, we're really not used to him having games like this at all in the playoffs. Um, A normal player (laughs) might have an off game, but it's just not something we've seen from him. I just think the foot is still a real issue. Uh, They said he probably would need surgery, and I'm not convinced that it will look better until he does get that surgery, unfortunately. Um, And so I just don't see a great outlook for this team. I'm skeptical of their chances of making a deep run. Uh, they're going to need like a 90% LeBron to make a legitimate run. And I think right now, honestly, we're getting like a 50 to 60% LeBron. Um, so, I, yeah, I just, I know a lot of people were high on them. I just don't see like a finals run out of this team. But with that said, I do think that they'll still win the series. Um, but honestly, that's more of an indictment on the Grizzlies than a compliment to the Lakers. They have shot the ball terribly in this series. 31% from three, 42% overall. They're super banged up, too. I mean, Kennard left game five. I don't even know if he's going to play tonight, but he's arguably their best shooter. Um, other than Bain, he's easily their best shooter. They were not a great shooting team overall this season, even even after they uh, traded for him. And Brooks has just been killing them. I mean, he's 30% from the field, just under 22% from three. He's also taken the second most threes of anyone on the team, so it's high volume. Eight for 37 is just not, that's just killer. He's fourth most field goal attempts on the team. Again, just, he just should not be shooting as much as he is. And he's just shooting them out of games at times. Like seriously, the last game he was, I think three for 15 or something. He was the only team player on the whole team uh, who played actual minutes that had a, a, a minus and their plus minus. <laughs> Um, it's just no basketball cue out of this guy. And I'm, I'm tired of his antics. He's just, he's got to go, man. Um, <laughs> I don't think he's going to be on the Grizzlies next year. We'll see if some team wants to pick him up. Um, but I'm, I'm not a Brooks fan. I haven't been for a while. And it's certainly um, starting to, <laughs> everyone else is starting to come around on that as well. Um, but assuming the Lakers do move on, I don't think they'll beat the Warriors unless they get a better version of LeBron. Um, if we get a 80-90% LeBron, if he starts to play a little better, I, I definitely think they can win. Um, I've been a little skeptical on the Warriors most of the year. How they're playing now is kind of what I expected in the first round against the Kings. Um, I'm also just still terrified every time AD falls to the ground, you get worried if he's even going to come back. I know he had the game one scare where he said he literally couldn't feel his arm and everyone was freaking out. Um, also, D'Angelo Russell is just... Unfortunately, I've been playing his normal playoff self, which is sub 40% from the field. He's just not a good playoff performer at all. Schroeder and Beasley have been terrible shooting as well. Um, And so I I do think they will beat Memphis, but I think it'll be more by default, honestly. I think Memphis is just not playing well. They haven't looked good in the series. It's been kind of an ugly series overall uh, on both sides, but I just think the Lakers are more physical 
they're bigger, they're, they've got more depth. And so, um, with all that, I think they will move on, but Warriors Lakers would be a super, super fun series. I mean, LeBron versus Curry. Um, it'd be pretty cool to see that, especially in the second round, we've only seen it in the finals. So I know they've got a little bit of a rivalry going and they're, um, LeBron's obviously past his prime at this point, but still a very good player. Um, but I would give the edge to Golden State mostly just because, like I've said, LeBron does not look healthy to me at all. I think the Warriors appear to be peaking at the right time. Um, and I'm just worried about the long-term health of the Lakers. Between LeBron not looking good, AD could fall down and hurt himself literally any play. Um, Hachimura's played well, but I don't know if that's as sustainable. And I just think with Golden State, you've got four to five guys that you know more consistently what you're going to get out of them between Curry, Clay, Draymond, Wiggins, and then Looney. I'm not even going to include Poole because he, he can be as inconsistent as it comes. Um, but those five guys, you know what you're going to get. Clay's going to be a little inconsistent, but you know he's going to have a good game at some point in the series. Curry is just a full-on superstar. Looney's going to play his ass off rebounding and on defense. Draymond's going to be one of the best defenders in the whole league during the playoffs. And then Wiggins is just that solid, consistent 15 to 20 points, good on defense. Whereas with the Lakers, there's just so many more question marks. All of the role players, you have no idea what you're getting out of them. Even a guy like Russell, who's supposed to be more than a role player, you unfortunately, you know what you're getting out of him, and it's just typically not very good. Um, and then LeBron has just been too inconsistent. Davis has been super inconsistent as well. I mean, he's had two just god-awful games and then two to three really good games. So game-to-game, uh, game, it's 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 kind of like you know in the first quarter, the first five minutes, if he's playing well uh, or not. It's It'll continue throughout the game. But it'll be a fun series overall, and I'm definitely looking forward to um, the second round overall. I mean, I think between Lakers, Warriors, Suns, Nuggets is going to be awesome. Celtics, Sixers is basically the conference finals happening around earlier. And then Knicks Heat, probably the least exciting of the group. Like I said, I think it'll be an ugly series, but um, it, it, it'll be fun. It'll be a, uh, a, a dog fight, I think. And then ho- hopefully Jimmy Butler can keep up his play because it's just been so fun to watch so far in the playoffs. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Sean Jones NBA show. Thank you so much for listening. Um, very excited to see the two game sixes tonight, um, both in the Western Conference, but with the Warriors and Lakers having a chance to clinch. Um, assuming they do close out, or even if it goes seven, I'll probably have another pod up at some point next week talking uh, through the second round series, uh, who's looked good so far, if, if anything is, of my opinion has changed based on that. Um, and then as we get into the conference finals, I'll obviously have a lot of content coming out on that front. Um, and then especially as we get into the finals, I'll probably have more of game to game reactions for that as well. Uh, but like I said, thanks so much for listening and I will talk to you soon.